Happy Friday, guys, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. We're coming at you again this Friday with another great podcast. But before we get into this, we're going to get you caught up on a bunch of stuff that we've been up to lately. We had a great, successful event with the One Crazy Weekend. I don't know anyone that came and said they're not coming back. So just going to keep getting bigger every single year. Next year, I think we'll blow out the huge parking lot that we're in and we're going to need some more space. But uh, we'll look forward to that happening next year. I'll start promoting that after the first of the year. This next October is just going to be unreal. We had tons of cool stuff happening and we're going to be doing a follow-up podcast with all that stuff coming up here in the near future. Went to Octo last weekend while I was down there. I stopped. I finalized my podcast with Kenny Fitzer Designs, the guy who's building the wide body bus. That podcast will come out next week. I'm looking forward to getting that one out there. Uh, Kenny Fitzer, long time OG VW guy, man. His bus is on February 1995 issue of VW Trends. His bus is on the cover as well as the Cal Look special for February of 1993. His bus was uh, again, on the cover with the Calix specials, a bus called Wet Dream back in the day. Look him up, get ready. He's OG VW dude. He's doing big things. He was on West Coast Customs for a long time. But we're going to get into that intro on his podcast next week. Other things I wanted to bring up this last week, we went to Octo, had a great time while I was down in California. Obviously, stopped to see Kenny Fitzer on the way, knocked out the podcast with him, continued on to Octo. After Octo, we circled back over to the Schley Museum. And got to sit down with the Schley brothers for a little bit. Didn't get a podcast knocked out, but uh, we've got plans to go back here in the next week or so to sit down and do a awesome historical podcast with lots of cool stories and a lot of information in respect to what they've been up to for a long time. Now you might be saying, Bill, what are these dash replace- replacement panels? Well, if you've got a bus and they've hacked up the dash, Ross Wolf makes a dash Uh, a dash filler piece it's their type 2 bus oversized radio delete plate right so it looks like a factory delete plate but the way it's designed it's an embossed piece of steel that's the same gauge as the factory metal and it goes over the radio hole even if they've butchered your radio no matter how big this will cover it it comes in primer you can paint it to match your dashboard it'll save you hours and hours of welding and cutting and all that stuff and it's a quick fix just to church up the dash and make it look a lot better matter of fact you got giant holes and you could probably make a a cool gauge hold or something out of this thing but they're about 75 bucks on their website uh totally legit save you like i said a lot of time on welding and doing that stuff so quick way to dress up the dash and make it look a little cleaner but check that out at rosswolf.com one of the sponsors of the podcast so tell them bill t sent you and uh other than that, man, we're uh, we're just doing what we're doing. Podcasts are stacking up in the background for you guys, so I'm excited for the ones that you guys have to hear that haven't even come out yet. There's lots of good content coming up. I've got plenty of people to give shout-outs to at the end of the podcast, so make sure you listen all the way to the end and hear if you get a shout-out. If you wrote in a letter in the last two months, I'm going to kind of read them on the podcast and giving you guys a little bit of a shout-out. But look forward to an upcoming uh, roundtable that we're going to be doing with George. And you might notice, like, Ross Wolf's been on social media recently, and someone was beefing about some of their product and so there was a little bit of back and forth on there ross wolf stepped up and said send us your product we'll send you new material refund your money whatever you want we're going to talk to jason with ross wolf and get to the bottom of what's been going on and we'll bring him in on the podcast and just check that out because that's what we do for you here on let's talk does man we investigate we find out we get to the bottom we bring you history man i can't like i was like i'm like batman with the utility belt we do so much for you guys over here but you're welcome and i'm glad to do it for you guys Today's podcast is with Rick Sadler. Now, Rick Sadler's bug, you'll know because it's a yellow cow look bug that he built a few years back in the early 2000s. This bug, it's a yellow cow look 
bug with One Piece Windows, traditional DKP. He's a member of DKP. He works for Impy. He's worked at D Engineering. He's worked for Johnny Speed and Chrome. He's like the Forrest Gump of the VW world. He's always in the background of most of the pictures, and he's been around forever and then some. But I've been tracking him down. We talked for quite a while. I connected with him through Lonnie Reed. Wanted to get him on the podcast. We finally were able to sit down and record one and just got a great podcast for you guys this week. So I'm excited for you guys to hear this. Tons of history, tons of what, if, when, and then, some Johnny Speed and Chrome stuff, some de-engineering stuff, a bunch of different, uh, a bunch of different avenues of the VW scene. So lots of cool stuff, a lot of interesting insight in the history from the people that lived it on this week's podcast. So if you guys are ready, I'm ready. Let's get into it this week with Rick Sadler on Let's Talk Dubs. You probably don't know that there's a new Volkswagen out that doesn't look like a Volkswagen. On today's podcast, I, I've been chasing this guy down for a while, and he's been ducking and dodging me. I finally cornered him, and I said, that's it. You're coming on the podcast. And on today's show, you may be familiar with our guest. He's been he's like the Forrest Gump of the VW scene. Every picture you look at, every time and place that something's going on, he's usually somewhere in the background. And on today's podcast, I've got Rick Sadler. He's currently with Impy as the director of production. He, you may be familiar with his 67 DKP bug. It's been on Hot VW's cover twice and the cover of VW Trends and some of the reissues. He was also national sales manager for Johnny Speed and Chrome from the 80s to the 90s. And then he's also been involved with de-engineering and so many other things. And, and on today's podcast, I'm excited to welcome Rick Sadler to the podcast. Rick, welcome to the welcome to the show. Thanks, Bill. I really appreciate it. It's uh, I I didn't try to dodge you too much. It's been kind of busy. No, and, I'm just uh, giving you a hard time. I, you know, I, I I know, and I I appreciate that. You're 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 you've got a great sense of humor, and I think that's why we clicked the very first time that we met. Even you know, and and and, and even the first time we met, it was, I think it was you, uh, you, me, Lonnie, and Dean Kirsten sitting at a, a table, uh, at one of the. One of the um, Main Street Garden Main Grove, Street Garden Grove. right I, up, right up in front of the Mexican restaurant. And I was, I was really upset because I thought if I had a stinking microphone on right now to record all these stories that I'm hearing right now, it would be legendary. And so, since then, um, you know, we've been we've been back and forth trying to get together, and I'm excited to have you on the podcast. And the way we always start the podcast is, what's your VW story, and how did you get into Volkswagens? Well, my 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 very first Volkswagen I bought when I was 16 years old, and it was a 67. And uh, I came from a family where my uh, I lived with my mom and my stepdad, and they both worked in the import business. And then eventually, my my stepdad went to work for a company called Vico, which later years later became uh, SIR Southwest Import Rebuilders in Santa Ana. So I was at the age of 12 and 13 and I would have a summertime job uh, working, taking engines apart, taking uh, crankshafts apart, working in a cylinder head department, 
So I, I, before I even had a driver's license, before I even had a permit, uh, I was already involved with Volkswagens to some degree. There were three guys on the street that I grew up in that also had Volkswagen. So again, I was, I was about 14 years old, the very first bug in that I went to. And this was when bug ins were big at OCIR. And you, you went the night before you camped out in line inside of a bug and, and then you made the parade to get in. And, and this was, uh, a pretty amazing time. I mean, this is this is the early seventies. Yeah. So, uh, so this is kind of the infancy of a lot of the cow look stuff. There were clubs around. Uh, that most of the people in my neighborhood belonged to DVB uh, because they were because their clubhouse was right around the corner from us. And who is DVB? So, yeah, D- yeah. There was like Der Volksbrückenaufbrau was <laughs> was the name of that. Really? Yeah. And I think I think actually I think Dino Don might even have been in there at at one time, wow. um, and I worked with Dino Don when I was 16 years old at the gas station that was right around the corner that specialized in Volkswagens. Really? It was it, yes, it was Rudy's Union. Rudy Boom was the owner of it, and uh, all of my friends in the neighborhood, they took their car to Rudy's, which is, I mean, this was right around the corner. It is literally from my house to that gas station was two blocks away. Really? And, uh, and so I worked there, um, part time. And that's actually the very first place that that's the very first time that I met Dino Don. Dino Don worked there as a line mechanic, believe it or not. Yeah. That's crazy. So, and this yeah. is, and this is in Anaheim. Where, where is this at exactly? This is the, Rudy's place was in Stanton. I mean, I grew up in Stanton, which is the, the city right next to Anaheim. I went to high school, Western high school in Anaheim. Um, so yes, this is, I mean, it was literally two blocks away and you were in Anaheim. And now you're, so, so your stepdad is working for SIR. So you get your hands on VWs this time. And then you get this job at, at Rudy's Union. Now, I'm assuming it's a Union 76 and they've got a repair shop there. It's exactly. Yes. And they're doing because VWs are obviously. And they had, I mean, it, it was a four bay shop. And I would say at any given time, there was no less than probably a dozen to 16 VW Beatles being worked on. Wow. And for and you, various you, things, oil changes, brakes, you name it, engine rebuilds. But mostly, and, uh, I mean, it was mostly stock, like maintenance type stuff. Or were you? No, guys... no. Actually, again, this is this is kind of like the infancy of racing, and uh, the there's a number of, of of guys that worked there at the time. Uh, I'm trying to remember what Tim's last name is. He ended up opening a shop in Bishop. Um, I mean, he's probably ten years older than I am, yeah. uh, and and so all these guys they had like these uh, performance engines and so forth in their in their vws and uh they would put on uh, when we when we went to the bug in all these guys like hung out together and in with shoe polish they put on the thing rudy's raiders that's what they called them really yeah it was crazy that's too cool so so i was really subject to the whole volkswagen thing at a very early age and now you're working you're working at rudy's union and then 
you start, how do you transition into working for some of the other shops or what, what, where? Well, so I, I worked for SIR also, uh, uh, out of high school and, uh, and worked for them for a period of years. Now SIR uh, did, SIR did rebuilds like factory, like factory they did, style rebuilds. They, most of the thing that they did was, was factory rebuilds. So, uh, the original name of that company was called Vico, V-E-C-O. And, uh, the two gentlemen that owned it, they sold it, um, to, um, uh, to three gentlemen. And, uh, I went to work for them. And at, and actually at that time I was working for D engineering at, I was 18 years old at that time. Yeah. I worked for D engineering for about four months, uh, doing skin packaging long. And you know, little did I know that I would be back there in about 30 years. That's too funny. And so you're now, so you go from working, kind of working in the, with the rebuilding, doing that at the same time that you're working at uh, Rudy's. How do you trans, where, where's your first job where you actually kind of, well, I want to back up a little bit. So who's the first fast guys that you see on the street back then? Like who's doing big stuff back uh, in those early days? On the street, you know, I mean, mostly it's it was, it were the guys in my neighborhood were, uh, had fairly fast cars, but you know, it's like fat performance was around then and, and, and they were kind of doing some stuff. Um, but going to like the bug ends and so forth, you know, um, Daryl Vatone was running then, uh, mm -hmm. the Schley brothers were running then. Uh, and, and, and what's really kind of, kind of a, I'm going to jump ahead and, mm -hmm. and you're going to find that I'll probably start jumping all around. Cause once I, once I start with one story, then it kind of gets in my head Right is, is, um, I remember when the Schleys had their first dragster out there with the type four engine and this, this thing. And I know about engines. I'm, and again, I am, I'm a teenager, but I'm not old enough to even drive yet. And, and so I'm waiting till, you know, they're working on the car in between rounds and I'm waiting till they have a, a minute. And, and because my dad did teach me that, you know what, you, you, you wait for your opportunity. These guys are here in the racing. Right. And, um, and, and I jumped in, I started talking to them and, and they were super nice. And, uh, they were really giving me a lot of information about this type four engine that's in this dragster and so forth. And then later on, as, as years go by, um, I get to know Paul because I'm in the same industry as they, they are. And we, and D engineering was actually a customer of theirs. And then when they found their dragster, uh, they go, yes, yeah, so I, I understand you're the guy that's done a lot of type four stuff. And I go, yeah, I have. I said, I, I, I did it because, because of the size of the engine that you guys had, because you guys were doing stuff with Truhoff then. And they had that big Bertha engine that was like 2,800 CCs. And I was just in awe of the size of an engine. And they go, well, how much would you charge us to take and build the engine for the dragster? And I go, are you kidding me? I go, this is like a dream come true. He goes, yeah, but we've known you for forever. And I go, I know, but it's it's a full circle deal for me. That's so wild. It, it 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 is. It's it, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, I I was grinning from ear to ear. Um, you know, I when I built that engine, I'm I was in my fifties. You know, so it's it's knowing them for like forty years and and them being out of the Volkswagen industry and then jumping back into it. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, it's, an, it's crazy. So you're there inspired by them as a kid at the drag yeah. race and stuff like that. And how do you get it now? Cause you, you said type fours and now you're speaking my language. Cause I'm a big fan of type four motors. Uh-huh. Um, so how do you start, you move into, cause you've got experience now early on building stock engines, just working almost like in a, in just an engine shop, building motors all day. Right. And then when so, you, so I did that. And mm-hmm. then, I mean, I, I, and I was only, I think I was, oh, I was, I, well, I was 19 years old and I bought a, um, um, this isn't my first Volkswagen, but it's my first Volkswagen race car. Uh, I was 19 and uh, there used to be uh, closed course racing at Ascot Park in Gardena. Mm -hmm. And they had what ran, what was running as uh, on the TT motorcycle track. So it had a a jump and this big sweeper turn and a hairpin turn. And it was was really kind of, kind of a real cool, fun deal. And so I bought this car. So, so they would race uh, what was called, uh, um, the like the Baja bug style, which is what I bought and it, but, but it's not like this raised Baja. These things are, are low to the ground. Uh, they had some really trick suspension on them and then they were racing the buggies and those things evolved into like these Newman Drigger kit cars that would go and race Pikes Peak. So this is after the Mears brothers raced, you know, the famous Mears brothers raced Volkswagens and so forth. I think I, I, I started doing that in like 1979 1978 yeah and um and so i went out there and i did that and i built a type 4 engine for it so that was like my first for me big race engine and i picked everybody's brain for a little bit of information here a little bit of information there and and uh and that's what i ended up doing and then when they took that off the dirt i sold that car and I bought my first, and I used the money, and I bought my first drag car, uh, which was uh, the lineage of that car was was uh, I bought it from a guy named Larry Shaw, uh, who, who had a place called Quick Bug Repair, and um, and it was Howard Muse's old car that Dean Lowry used to drive called Mousetrap. So oh, really? Mousetrap. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I, again, you, you hit the nail on the head when you when you said it's like this guy's like the forest. No, <laughs> I, I, I am. I mean, it, it's it's you know, it's, it's just been um, a pretty blessed life of when you look back at things and just the way things transpired and so forth. You just go, I can't really believe it. I mean, if, if, if I didn't live it and I'm not and if I wasn't around those the people uh, that I have for all these years. I, I think my my stories sound like a lot of BS, and it doesn't sound like that, that all those things could not have happened to it. It's like right, no, right. but they really did. And so the mousetrap. So you you end up so you that's your first race car, quote unquote. That was my first drag car. Okay, and so you. So get, my first race car was the Ascot car. Uh, Ascot moved the uh, Ascot. They were shutting Ascot down, and they were moving. Um, uh, the Southern California Independent Drivers Association (SCDA) was the was a governing body, and they were moving to running like uh, quarter mile asphalt racing up in like Bakersfield and so forth. And uh, nothing against oval racing, but it wasn't for me. Right. And and so I sold that car, 
uh, and after after selling that car, then I bought uh, the car without a an engine in it from uh, from Larry Shaw at Quick Bug Repair, and and I had that. So Larry and, buys the car from that. Howard, How, correct? And then you buy the car from Larry. Yes. How long do you camp? Now, is this now you buy it because it's kind of a prep drag car? Do you buy it with the supercharged motor in it? I mean, how do you buy it? Uh, I, I, I bought it without the engine in it because I knew that I could build one. Okay. And I, I didn't put a Type 4 in that one. I put a Type 1. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I was, because at that time I was still working at SIR, uh, one of the things, and, and here it is, I'm going to, I'm going to bounce around a little okay. bit again. Um, when I, when I was working for, uh, I was technically working for my dad at SIR because he was a, he was a piecework mechanic, right? And um, and so they they asked uh, the owners at the time they asked my dad, hey, so can uh, can your son take and um, uh, we'll just pay him directly, and um, we need to pick we need to buy some uh, some core engines and there's a place over here that that has all these core engines. It's like, yeah, that's fine. So again, I, I'm not old enough to even drive yet. I'm probably 14 years old at this time, and but I do know some some of the stuff about Volkswagen. So about a half a mile away from the shop in Santa Ana, mm-hmm. uh, they send us. So they send a, a guy with a truck that they can drive, and me, all I am is just muscle to to take and and uh, and and bring these things in there. And what is it? It's Lee Eliminators. So it's all this empty stuff. No way. Okay. No, I, I, I kid you not. I mean, they are and and at the time, MP had like uh, blue painted cases and silver painted cases and gold painted cases. And again, I I knew enough about the stuff that as I'm taking these things apart, SIR well Vico at the time, all they all they really did then was stock engines. Right. Well, I knew I could recognize that. This thing has no crosser crank in it, or this thing has an SPG roller crank in it. This thing has uh, 90 millimeter Nicosil barrels in it. Um, this thing has a set of ported heads on there that were actually Fumio heads. And and so I I had a little bit of a side hustle. All I had to do, all I cared about was, was if I paid the company with... Uh, what the core value was right. of, of a stock, like a stock crank was five bucks. A stock connecting rod was a dollar. Uh, so if I, I could get an SBG roller crank that could, because the rods are on it for nine bucks. Holy cow. Yeah. So I was kind of in hog heaven because I got my friends that are into Volkswagens. I'm working at a Volkswagen place. I'm picking stuff up and 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 we just hit the like the holy grail of of like you know empty there is most of the stuff were corages it wasn't like it, the, the everything that i that we got there was was all race stuff no but i was the guy that got to take the stuff apart yeah there's a, there's the, enough stuff coming through yeah. where you you're getting to pick out some of yeah. the cool stuff that they don't really want which is just even yeah. better and, right? that, and again this is the this is the real early 70s so this is uh, this is uh, after um, uh, Lee Eliminators bought all of the stuff from Empy, and then and then basically shut the whole Volkswagen thing completely down. You know, so 
uh, at that time, Daryl had already morphed over from Impy to like uh, to the race shop and then race shop into tectonics tuning, which was water cool books like and, and Daryl and I, you know, I mean, we met uh, in the 70s and we, re- we we remained friends up until Daryl's death. Oh, wow. And now, I mean, because Daryl, he moves on into like water cooled stuff. He was just a performance guy. Exactly. He yeah, moves- that's that. That's what the tectonics tuning was. I mean, it's it's um, it's kind of ironic at this point that that you know uh, Joe Vitone's dad, you know, was the was the first guy to the the very first MP product was valve guides because if you if the valve guides wore out of your thirty six horsepower engine, then you then you had to buy a completely brand new head. Right. And he came up with the idea of of making bronze aluminum guides and uh and that was that was the very first mp product you know back in the early early 60s and and that ended up morphing into you know the whole racing scene and 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 everything else off of that first product um that that he had that but um but joe was always looking at the thing as he saw that at one time you know he was getting Forty-five, fifty dollars for a set of pistons and cylinders, you know, in the late '60s, right. and and then now all of a sudden here, you know, here comes these uh, these other companies like uh, like NPR, you know, that was uh, out of Japan and so forth. Good product, um, but now people are selling, selling those things for like twenty-nine, thirty-five, thirty-nine dollars, right. that sort of thing, and uh, and he's the one that pushed Daryl into the water cool he was saying you know this air cooled stuff i don't know how long it's going to last he goes but you know everybody's driving the pricing down and down on this thing you really need to probably go into the water cool and that's how daryl got into water cool and who pushed him into that his dad real oh so his dad because i've had you know i've had joe vatone i'm I'm sorry not joe vatone joe horvath on the podcast Uh I don't yeah. know if you had a chance to listen to that, but he, you know, he was there at the beginning. No, I haven't, but but I know Joe for for a really long time. And he was there at the beginning of Impy when they first got started. He was Plaxo, yep. and he hired Lee Layton, and like just yep all these wild stories with you know Revmaster and selling the company, buying it back, and you know all this kind of stuff. So you know, there's there's so many things going on in so many different places at the same time that it's it's pretty intense to to see everything, how it's going. So, so Daryl's convinced by his dad that get out of this water cool thing. It's going to die. He transitions into the, or out of the air cooled and move yes. into water cooled. So yeah, he, his dad just saw the thing that, that, you know what, uh, people and people are making less and less profit. There's more and more people throwing their hat into the ring. Uh, this is the, the race to the bottom, so to speak. Right. But yeah, they, but, but you know, all those guys worked for, for Joe at Empy. You know, uh, and they were and they were all at, at one time. I mean, they were you could literally throw a rock into, you know, from the original MP on Roberta. Uh, you could throw a rock across the street and hit Fumio's shop. You could throw a rock down the street and hit Lee Layton's shop. And you could throw a rock across the street and hit Joe at Revmaster's shop. So they all kind of. They they splintered off, but they didn't go they didn't go very far. Yeah, they all stayed pretty close, right? Yeah, and and they all they all kind of they, they all kind of you know 
specialize in their own thing, you know, because, you know, Joe was into the aviation portion of it. Right. Yeah, no, there's, yeah, so, there, there's a lot of, you know, because talking to Joe and his story, he talks about Tom Lieb coming down there to sell core motors and Claude yep. coming down there to sell core motors and them seeing the kind of business that they're doing and kind of inspires those guys to get into it. And it's just, it's interesting how the evolution comes from all that. And then how do you, how do you transition? Where do you go next? So well, let's back up to the drag bug. So you buy the mousetrap. Mm -hmm. What, mm -hmm. what's your story with the mousetrap? You get it. What motive I, do you put I it had in? it. I, I got it to run uh, in the low 11s. And um, if it, if it wasn't for the fact that I was 19 to 20 years old when I owned it, you know, and just being like, kind of like a dumb kid. Uh, I had the opportunity. It was back at, uh, you know, it, it's owned by somebody over in France now, mm -hmm. and uh, and it ha it has the tires on it that, that I that I that I drove on like forty some odd years ago. And he goes, "Oh, you should take the thing down the track." I go, "I you couldn't pay me to take that thing down the track. That thing, um, um, you know, Dean Lowry drove that car. Yeah, okay." Dean Dean had this like um, this setup type deal. He what he liked to put in is he liked to put in um, IRS Porsche transaxles, okay, right, with with dots and stub axles, okay, with that 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 had these huge ones. So that's what was in the back. Hmm. In the front, he had these straight axles. They, it was a Halliburton front end with Halliburton wheels, super light lightweight spindle mount wheels no brakes or anything like that and these things and, and the and the reason that car was called mousetrap is because everything on it was drilled even the spring plates on the thing had holes drilled in them i mean probably uh i would say hundreds of holes oh, so wow. it so to me uh, mousetrap is really more like a death trap but yeah. that's what people did then right you know i mean that's that's exactly what they do. they lighten these cars up, and which is why they could go race NHRA and and ba and basically set records every single time somebody went out. All these guys from that time, you know, like Lee Layton, um, Chris Klingeman, um, Daryl, uh, the Schleys, all these guys at one time, it was it was like a pass the hat, like who's ever going to go to the next national race was going to lower the index and, and set a new NHRA record. Yeah. That's exactly what they did. And they, they owned, they owned the gas, the gas classes. They owned the modified compact uh, classes. They owned. So it was I mean, just the same was, guys, totally Volkswagen, the same circle of guys year after year, just going there. Nothing could compete with them. No, they, they, they couldn't. I mean, no, nobody was even within probably a second now here's a, a question. Full second. What do you buy the mousetrap for when you buy it? When or how no, much? How much do you pay for it? <laughs> I paid five hundred dollars for the car without an engine. And that's pretty good money for that car. I mean, especially figuring the car is drilled to bits and it's. Uh, I mean, you're. Yeah, no this this car. I mean, it had uh, it had cable uh, with turnbuckles that that uh, crisscrossed in the. Um, and what would be like the normally like the front trunk area mm -hmm. to try and keep, you know, some sort of stability to it. But I'll tell you, I mean, that 
that car walked all around. And, and, and again, I will reiterate, if I wouldn't have been so, so young and dumb at the time, I never would have drove that car. But hey, whenever you're that age, it's like, I'm going, I'm going 110 miles, 114 miles an hour in this thing. And it's like, it may be all over the place, but this is a ride. This is fun. Yeah. It, it, so you have that car for a short time. What possessed you to sell that car and move on to something else? Uh, I got married also at a really early age and I went through a divorce mm-hmm. and that's, that was the first thing that had to go. Got it. So you bail out on that car. You gotta, you gotta do a reassessment now. And so what do you do? Where do you go now for work? Um, I'm, I'm still, I'm still working at SIR for a little bit. And, uh, when I left there, I mean, it, we, we had kind of like a management walkout and I was a manager at the time. Um, and, uh, we, a bunch of us left, including one of the owners and, um, That's and we weird. decided that we're going to look elsewhere and, and, uh, they kind of went and did something else they they did something in the uh remediation business which is has nothing to do with Volkswagen whatsoever right and uh and one of them said hey you know what uh uh Johnny Speed Chrome was one of our engine customers and they said yeah you know I was talking to one of the guys at Johnny's and they're looking for a wholesale sales manager and so I went over there and I talked with uh JT John Thomas Huey um who is the John and Johnny and uh, I got hired and I went to work for them and they and I as their national sales manager for wholesale and uh, worked out of their La Mirada warehouse for oh, probably, I think, about three or four years. Now, Johnny Speed and Chrome, when you joined them in 1980, they're not quite at their peak yet. I, I joined them in probably 88, 89. And yeah, they were already, they were already at their peak. I mean, they had, they had their original on beach Boulevard in Buena park, uh, retail store. Uh, and, uh, and he owned, he owned the property that that was on as well as the property behind it where they built their, uh, their warehouse at the time. And then, um, and then I don't know if he owned, I don't think he did. I think he, he leased a building over in La Mirada and that building was probably 30,000 square feet. So yeah. uh, I went to work at that place in La Mirada. And at that time they were, they had already uh, built up from the retail thing that they were also servicing a whole bunch of shops. And uh, they had like their own skin cards then and so forth. And that's, that's, so that's, that was the thing. And so they were like in direct competition for um, any of the empty parts, then mm-hmm. any of the um, uh, true Hoff. Well, I think true Hoff was already done and over with by then. Um, and bug pack, of course, <laughs> bug pack was their, the number one, uh, the number one guys at the time. So when you go to work for Johnny's, I mean, how big is Johnny's in comparison in the hierarchy of the VW hobby? Where do they stand when you go work for those guys? They're, they were pretty big. I would say that they were probably um, in the ranking at that time. I would say uh, Bug Pack was, you know, the engineering Bug Pack uh, was the number one. MP was number two. And Johnny's was number three. 
Wow. I mean, that's a, that's, that's quite a, um, I mean, it's quite a move to that company and then to move to Johnny's and then be their national sales manager. Like how many, how many places are they selling to across the country? Oh, we, I mean, we had hundreds of places. And you guys, I mean, it, it, it was not only nationwide, but it was, but they had worldwide shops that they sold to. And you're, you're selling billet door handles and window cranks and all kinds of, selling, you know, a, a lot of things. I mean, they're, you know, they, they had uh, a, their own fiberglass shop. So they made, you know, Baja, uh, Baja kits, uh, one piece fiberglass front ends. Uh, they did all their own steel tube, uh, like doing the, um, like the sand rails and, and Baja bumpers, all that stuff was made uh, in-house. They, he had, he owned another uh, piece of property that was doing their own manufacturing in Chino. I mean, it, and it was Johnny speaking Chrome, uh, but, but they only, they only supplied, they only supplied Johnny speeding Chrome. You know, they weren't selling anything to anybody else. And so Johnny's like, there's always been this question that I had. Cause when I first got in the hobbies, it was like Johnny speed and Chrome ads everywhere. And I think at this time in the late eighties, you know, mail order is like huge. Like that's where people are just right. doing tons and tons of business. And, and the, I remember the Johnny's ads were four pages or whatever. Oh no. I mean, they, they, at one time they had 16 pages. 16 pages of ads in one magazine. 16 pages of ad. I mean, it was, That's incredible. Uh, you know, on the, on the retail spectrum, you know, it was, it was, it was the battle between, uh, and, and I didn't work in retail, but it was the battle between uh, Johnny Speed and Chrome, small car specialties and car customs. Those were the, those were the three big, big, big hitters. And, uh, and each, each of those at one time had, uh, had uh, magazine ads in both magazines that that were basically in the teens, 12, 14, 16 pages. Yeah, and it, and and I and I think from a business standpoint, right, the, the VW hobby is kind of getting to a climax, and then yeah. I, like there's some sort of shift that takes place because a lot of those places in the early 90s just kind of I think Car Custom was still around in the early 90s. But like yeah, Johnny's, it seemed like from from a guy living here in Las Vegas and buying the magazines as you know a hobby, it almost just seems like Johnny's just disappears pretty quickly. Yeah, and, you know it got it got passed down. Um, uh, JT, you know, had um, he had two sons that worked there. One passed away uh, long before he did too, uh, and and the other one ran the retail store. So. Um, I mean, it, I think it just got to the point. Uh, GT was one of the most unique individuals in this whole wide world. I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't know anybody uh, else that's like him. And even even when I gave my notice and they took my two week notice and I told them exactly where I was going. So they knew I was going to a direct competitor, but he still kept me there. And he was just uh, he was just an unbelievably uh, he was a big hearted guy. Uh, he was a marketing genius, genius, and he was like a carnival barker. <laughs> really? I mean, I mean, there's really no other way to, to describe the guy. And was he, I mean, he was in it for the business aspect or was he, a, was he passionate about Volkswagens too? No, nah, he was in it for the, for the business and the aspect. I mean, I mean, Johnny speaking Chrome 
you know, wasn't the actual name of the company. The name of the company was Jiffy Plating and Sales, and and the and the the uh, the product line was Johnny Speed and Chrome, and the retail store was Johnny Speed and Chrome. But he, I mean, he got into the first portion of the automotive business by being a chrome plater and then specifically wheels and then specifically wheels for Volkswagens. And that's what, that's what kicked it off for him. Interesting. And so he's got a, he's got a primary business, which is the, so he comes from like polishing plating background. So for him to open a retail store is like, that's nothing. Let me get a couple of product lines. And at this point, how much stuff is being made overseas? Because all of a sudden it seems like this Johnny speed and Chrome who starts as a Chrome shop is now making make manufacturing parts. You know what I mean? And so it's like, yep. Some of these parts, they got to be coming from some, either this guy's got a foundry or he's got connections overseas. And I'm sure that's probably the beginning of the great overseas revolution where people start buying parts over there. I, I don't know, you know? Yeah, no, it, it, it was during that time. I mean, it was, um, whereas, uh, whereas now a lot of things in the automotive industry has gone to China at that time, it was Taiwan. Right. Uh, that, that, that really had a bulk of not just Volkswagen parts, but uh, automotive in general. And so, with this, because there's also, you know, with with um, there's uh, small car specialties at the time, right? Like they're, they're they're a pretty big shop at the time, and and it's interesting because a lot of guys my age, because we got in the scene in the late '80s, right? So we don't know some of this history behind, you know, like the 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 little information that I do know about small cars. Small car was kind of a division of CB Performance or Claude's Buggies, and then they kind of there was a kind of a split off happening there to some degree and then small car had like this huge name and then overnight gone, you know? Yeah. Kent, Kent Dahlberg that owned small car specialties, um, you know, they, they were, um, you know, I mean, and, and this, I don't know as, it, as it being 100% pure fact, but, uh, the, the, um, the stories that had, had been bandered around, uh, were, were that, uh, I mean, Kent came from Visalia, which is right outside of Farmersville. I mean, it is the city right next door. Okay, yeah. and and CB, um, you know, it you know they're sitting there and they're looking at, hey, you know what? Uh, we could really use a presence in Orange County, uh, and and I don't know how much they bankrolled it, how much they set it up, but I know that they that um that the the uh the tomlinson family definitely had uh their finger in to a lot of it and then uh and it it really took off i mean it was it was uh small car was really the very first superstore even though johnny's speed and chrome was already there it their, their retail location was pretty small Small car was a superstore. It was huge. Yeah. You know, they put on that big small car showdown. They'd have a big sale. Uh, they had a line that probably had literally hundreds of people standing in line to get inside the door to go through the turnstile so that they could buy some parts. I mean, that's that. Those those were like the days. So you're saying it like the in the gentleman that owned owned small car his name was kent dahlberg kent dahlberg so, so him he, and him and his wife him uh, kent and pat 
uh, owned that place. So he's he's probably a pretty good marketing guy, I would guess. If we're saying that's, that's... I, I you know I, I don't know if I mean I I don't know if he was a good marketing guy, a great marketing guy, um, our right place at the right time kind of guy. But I mean, when they opened up that store, I mean, it, they hit it at its peak. They really did. I mean, that, that was, um, that was exactly the perfect time to take and do what they did. And so they come down to Orange County and they're all over the place. They, they're doing car shows there. They're really, mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're, they kind of burst onto the scene and they're a big deal. And so you've got those guys, you've got, um, you've got Impy, and then you've got, uh, well, as far as retailers, you got Johnny Speed and Chrome. You've got yeah, and then, car and then, custom, and then eventually car custom. So all three of those guys, and yes, they all had um, some wholesale business, you know, some local wholesale business. But uh, but for the most part, they were really kind of retailers. Uh, Johnny's had quite a bit of wholesale business, and then Impy and Bug Pack were one hundred percent wholesale only. And now what? what happens at Johnny speed and Chrome ultimately where the company just disappears? Uh, I don't know. I think there was a, a number of different things that, um, that, that kind of took place within the industry with some industry people and so forth that, um, that eventually kind of, you know, led to, to them just, um, you know, calling it quits. I so, mean, I, I don't know the exact thing. I have my, ideas and so forth and i don't really want to um speak ill of anybody sure sure um but you I mean, know, because it's only an idea and in the vw world it's never been it, because it's such a small hobby and i've heard so many things back and forth about oh yeah so-and-so really developed this but so-and-so takes all the credit for it and then this guy came up with that but this guy went and copied his idea like lately like, and it starts as early as with the pistons right when i had joe horvath on here he finally uh, he I, he told me him and somebody else put the money in to get the, the 95, 90.5s or the 90 millimeter mm-hmm. NPRs made. And then the factory just goes behind his back and starts selling them to everybody. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and, and there's, there's no loyalty for the hard effort and work that they put into this stuff. And it kind of seems to be a, a, a continuing trend to some degree in the VW world, right? I mean, there's plenty of shops out there today that their entire business model is just to look at everything everybody else makes, copy it, and then try to manufacture it for a little bit less. I mean, that's the way that it's been. You, I mean, uh, there has been a number of places that you take and you, you know, you, you, you get yourself a nice business relationship with a vendor. And, um, when things are going, you know, absolutely bonkers and, and you're basically buying everything that they could possibly make. And then, and then the business starts to subside a little bit. Well, you know, I mean, their, their plan was that they were going to sell X amount per year. And so their production is indicative of that. And now, and so now, now they're sitting there with, with uh, way too much inventory in their place. And so the, the, the natural thing is it has nothing to do any longer with a business relationship. It has everything to do with, I've got too much inventory. And so, uh, uh, the guy that used to come to me and ask, Hey, what did you sell to us? It's like, uh, you know, uh, now I'm ready to sell to you. 
Right. We've got, we got product we need to move. And at this point we're limiting yeah. our loyalty based on who's got dollars because we've got inventory to move. Yeah. So. I mean, at, at one time when, when I was working for D engineering, um, there was, uh, another company, um, that was not, that, that, that has to do with, um, with, uh, import parts in general. That was, they were the king of bringing in the Molly cast pistons mm-hmm. and de-engineering was the king, uh, in the U S of bringing in forged pistons. And we horse traded some of the stuff back and forth. And then eventually anybody and everybody was buying direct from them. Um, so, so that, that kind of, that kind of got killed. So, uh, I, I know very much along the lines of what that feels like firsthanded. Yeah. I mean, the guys from Molly, they, I mean, they, they came to the Costa Mesa office and I said in the office with them, you know, as they were explaining, well, you know, uh, you know, we, we've, we've got so-and-so that's willing to place this order. And it's like, that's fine. You're not going to sell any more. Right. Okay? what you're going to do, you're going to sell the same amount and you're going to sell them instead of to one person, you're going to sell them now to three people. You're going to sell the same hundred pistons. You're just going to sell right. them to four different and, people and that instead is, of one that's guy. That's exactly what happened. You know, it, 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 it happens so much that, you know, it's it, even my, my friend, Chris Cox that passed away a few years uh-huh. ago, you yeah. know, he was the guy that was importing all the cases from yep. Brazil and yep. he stopped. He was supplying CB. He was supplying everybody. And he yep. stopped. He had a huge lawsuit with the Autolinea in Brazil because, you know, the first few cases he got, I mean, he would order container loads of cases and he'd get, a, he'd oh, get yeah. the containers yeah, I, in. I, I know this. Yeah. I know this story. And it's like, you know, and he tries to stand up for the integrity of the VW hobby and say, nope, I'm suing you guys. We're going to hash this out. These cases are no good. They require $200 in machine work just to get them usable, you know, all the stuff. And then all Autolina does is just grab his customer list, go around him and just start selling to people directly. And it was, it's just, it, but it's, it, it's insane. And I mean, he, he was a friend of mine and I, you know, and we talk a lot about all this while he was going through this lawsuit and it was just like, and for him, you know, he was a little bit frustrated because he felt like he really kind of put his neck out there to, to salvage the integrity for the, it like wouldn't allow this garbage in the VW world. And the first chance that some of his customers got to go around him, they did, you know? Now he was, I mean, Chris was, was a, uh, unbelievable, it, what I would call a treasure hunter. Okay. Oh, yeah. He, he could sniff things out, you know, South America and Mexico, yep. uh, you know, and, and he would find and because, why? Because they were still building the cars when he forged these relationships. So he could go to an OE supplier and uh, or or a dealership that was getting ready to go out of business or a, or a warehouse that, that used to take and supply. And and he had he had this awesome connection with VW Brazil and VW Mexico. Oh, yeah. And um, and 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 they were they were pretty loyal to him. But some of the other companies no, not so much you know because because they had you know it, it, you have to keep um you know as long as you're building the vehicle which they still were building bugs in in brazil and bugs in mexico as long as as long as you're still doing them the you know there's some sort of law that you have to continue to make parts for x amount of years i don't remember what it is like 10 years or or something like that well what was what was interesting to me about chris is 
I would go to his his warehouse slash house, right? Where he had uh-huh. a seven thousand foot warehouse in his backyard. And I'd go over there and I'd be like, What do you have all of these for? Like who's <laughs> buying these? He's like, Oh, South Africa. They buy them by the container load. And I'm like, yep. they're buying but he just had this knack for finding out who needs what. And so he'd roll up on a shop and say, yeah, what are you doing with all these cores? They're like, yeah, they're useless. He's like, well, I'll buy them from you. So he buys them and then he finds a buyer somewhere around the world that's looking for just those pieces. Oh, yeah. And he, it, it, what's crazy is he had such a wealth of knowledge. He was a huge enthusiast. Uh, he was a good buddy of mine. And, and I, you know, I just recently had picked up I, my Mexican beetle I got from him. Uh, I picked up his drag bug that he had um that when he passed away i picked that up from his Mm -hmm. widow and then i just brought back to vegas the beetle barn bus which was a stretched limo bus that uh, a shop here in town built in the in the 60s and you know he just had you know i when i i first met chris through my buddy justin here at the beetle barn and I went to his warehouse and then I just started asking him questions and Chris loved to tell a story. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, he was, Chris was, was like <laughs> one of the, he, he was just like a good hearted, one of the neatest guys in this industry. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, it, it, it you know, it's, it, it, it's really sad that, it, that he had to pass the way that he did and so forth. And, um, and yeah, we did business with him. We bought stuff. He was a customer of ours also. Um, and, uh, he's, he, you know, he was sorely missed and I, and I know a lot of his customers that were, you know, that were a- across the pond, so to speak in Europe. And, uh, and I mean, th- you know, there were guys that would come and they would buy a container full of doors from him because, you know, o- over there, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. they, they don't need to import any rust. They have their own rust over there. They have plenty of it. Yeah. yeah. This is, this is lo- long before, you know, that people started making door scans and, and everything else. But, but yeah, I mean, I've got friends over there that they, they bought, you know, they had just a standing order with Chris. It's like, fill up, fill a container full. Yeah. And if you, if you have enough to fill two, I'll take two. Uh, I'll take every door that you have. Uh, don't ship me any air. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so you're now, you're a Johnny speed and Chrome. You leave on your own or you see the writings on the wall or the business is shutting no, down no, and you no, got to get I, a new I, job I left or... on my own. I was, um, uh, not, not necessarily disgruntled. Uh, but I had, uh, a different opinion on the way of, of like where the business was kind of heading and so forth. Uh-huh. And, um, and so, um, one of the customers that was shared by uh, by Johnny's as well as um, as D Engineering Bug Pack, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he goes, well, he goes, I know, I know they're looking for for a sales manager over there, and I go, well, I said, I know them, and I go, I I, I don't know that they would want to talk to me or anything. And they go, no, 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 let me talk to. I'll talk to Ed. And so set it up and I went over there on a, on a Friday night after work and sat in Ed's office. And he, you know, he's, he told, basically told me, yeah, I want you to come work here. Uh, you know, sales manager. Uh, I don't know how long this is 1993 and I don't know how long the whole Volkswagen thing is going to last, but we're, <laughs> um, I mean, that, that's exactly what he said. Yeah. And, uh, 
he goes, but you know, we, we just bought a company and we're doing polyurethane and all this. And we kind of think that that's maybe the future of the business. And, and, uh, so, um, are, are you going to be okay if it's not just only Volkswagen? And then, yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, no problem. You know, so, uh, I w- went to work from in 1993 and, uh, and the Volkswagen thing, you know, I mean, we had some, some record sales years in the early 2000s even, you know, and, so it, it, it went much longer than what he thought it would. And, uh, and, and we really tried to do everything. Uh, at that time we were, we were, uh, a manufacturer, you know, I mean, we, you know, like all, all the things that, um, like the super flow heads and angle flow heads, um, we made rocker shafts, rocker arms. They were all made in our machine shop. Uh, all, all the, uh, intake manifolds, all that was made in the machine shops, uh, oil pumps made in our machine shop. So there was a lot of things that we could control, um, you know, we were also doing uh, steel tube products, also the same thing like what Johnny's was doing. You know, uh, buggy frames and uh, and um, Baja bumpers and things along that line. Uh, we had a, we we did our own aluminum panels uh, in house and and um, and th- so there was a lot of things and and they bought uh, they bought the a rubber company, so all the Calic rubber was being made at our shop in Ontario. Oh, really? Yeah. And so, so all of that stuff, um, was going good. And the things that we got from Taiwan and then eventually, you know, into the two thousands, things morphed from Taiwan over to China. And, um, and we had a, you know, a, a very good, um, QA QC department that, uh, that we checked everything. And there was a lot of stuff that we rejected and, and our our deal was, you know what, we need to sell a quality part. I mean, it has to be quality. We can't just have it. And um, and at that time, I would have said, you know what, I I will uh, uh, to be if this all goes away one day, at least I know that we tried our best doing it uh, with with quality in mind, and that I don't I really don't think we're going to lose to price or or uh or anything like that well as, as the stuff got as we rejected more and more things then we became out of more and more things and we began to lose market share and as and as that happened then the the previous owner of of MP, uh in 2015 uh purchased the company i mean you know it, it was they had they had discussions as early as 2012 on this and uh, then it, it, they would just get tabled. And, you know, they couldn't really come to an agreement and they finally came to an agreement in 2015, packed up all the Volkswagen stuff. They came and got it. It went over there. The name went over there. Uh, the, uh, the tooling, the equipment and so forth, that all went, went over to, um, to Empey at that time. And, you know, little did I know that even, even six years after that, when I went to work there, that some of some of those parts that that, that I oversaw getting packed up and so forth were still there. They didn't even get sold. And now, with so you brought up something that I had a question on. Now, Superflow heads—that's sure. a de-engineering product. That is a de-engineering product. I mean, that was originally designed um, by by Ken and Dean Lowry. 
And, uh, and at, at the time, uh, before I came to work there in the eighties, uh, they were operating. I mean, Dean was, Dean had his, you know, DDS stuff, but all, all, anything that was made out of cast aluminum all came out of, of the, um, um, of Ken Lowry's foundry that was called ARPM. Well, the engineering bought ARPM from Ken Lowry. And with that got, that's how they, how they were doing uh, uh, linkage pieces, oil pumps, uh, intake manifolds, all that, all that tooling is like original engine cases, you know, the three liter mm-hmm. engine case, yeah. uh, flow heads. all that was, was done from, um, from Ken Lowry. And when they purchased that company, and so they bought that company, and they bought and they bought Taco, which was Bill Taylor's company, and they moved. And Bill had a machinist background, and so Bill came came in. This is before I got there, mm-hmm. and he set up the machine shop, and and then also made some improvements on some of the early the, the early ARPM designs. Now, it, it's it's not the uh... So ARPM was the name of um, uh, Dean, Ken Lowry. Ken company. Lowry's, yeah, uh, the brother business, and he had a yeah. foundry kind of business, like like casting and stuff like that. Absolutely. And that's where you know he was able to make stuff that nobody with their right mind would manufacture for Volkswagens because of the lack of the the assumption of lack of market share or desire by. Uh, yeah, he 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 made things. He made other things in his foundry too. I mean, you know, it's like like he, like uh, Jerry Magnuson. You know, Magnuson superchargers, uh-huh. not just for Volkswagens, but other things. I mean, that's that's why that's why Dean had one of those on his car because because Ken was was doing all the castings, you know, for those superchargers. Oh, really? Because they, they were right down the street. Interesting. Well, so and, and that's a, a, thing. Lot, a lot more came out of that foundry than just Volkswagen parts. In fact, um, the last time that de-engineering was buying castings from them and then having them machined, uh, I would say that 80 percent of their business at that time was something other than VW. Oh, yeah. And that, and that was that's my point. It's like the VW is such a small market share. But if a guy's got a foundry, he's right. like, well, hey, I'll still make stuff for my hobby but i'm going to get my bread and butter from all these other industries that have a bigger market share and i can still i can still because it, it kind of offsets the cost when you're running your operation and you can do kind of your your hobby stuff and i don't want to call it hobby stuff yeah. but it really was right there's no there's no no it, it was i mean you know i mean dean was dean was the brother that basically did kind of like the R&D stuff because, you know, he built that three liter engine when put it in a pro stock uh, Volkswagen and was the first car, I think, that ran into the nines. Um, you know, so, so he was out doing, you know, testing and R&D and then Dane was making, you know, the adjustments and so forth over the years. And that was, that was of course, prior to uh, the whole bug pack thing. But, he, but even then, even when Dean, still continued racing and uh and so forth and even when his daughter like Mar- when marla was was driving uh the pro car uh bug pack was the sponsor because because there there was a a um there was still a connection between the foundry bug pack that was selling the parts and then bug pack ended up buying 
um, all of the ARPM name, but still using Ken's Ken Lowry's foundry. Hmm. That's that is really interesting. I mean, yeah. there's there's so many layers to this thing. And I, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and I love how it just kind of everything just keeps building off of everything else. You know, yeah. no, it's, I mean, it's an onion that has that, that has many, <laughs> many, many peelings to well, it. <laughs> it's funny. It's like the podcast, right? When I started doing the podcast, people said, well, how many interviews can you do? And I said, I, I mean, I can do quite a bit. And it's like the more I dig into the hobby, the more it just seems like an endless supply of connections with people that have history that that either started their careers in Volkswagen or they're in Volkswagens now or you know there there's so many people that connect back to this hobby that whether they've gone on to other industries and other uh other things entirely but uh, you know I just love that that I love putting all the pieces together because me not being I'm not like a super cow look like aficionado like it's got to be this or it's nothing for me i'm more of like mm -hmm. a, okay i want to drive it like i you know that's where my passion is i want to drive it i want it to be cool and i'm okay when i bought my the red chop top that i have when i was negotiating right. the purchase the guy's like well it has original brms i have a guy who wants to buy them do you want to sell them do you want to buy the car without them and i said eh, i might buy them without the car and then the more I sat on it, the more I thought about the historic value of those being the wheels that have been on that car. And so I yeah. said, ah, you know what? Because I started thinking, oh, I don't want to drive around real magnesium wheels and all stuff. And then I thought, ah, screw it. I'm going to drive the car the way it is with that stuff on there. But the more I do the podcast, the more I interview guys like yourself, the more I just get this desire to get to the bottom of so much more and so many more connections. Because even if it's before I was in the hobby, it's just so interesting to see how things got together or one thing beget another. And now with the super flow heads, bringing it back to that, is the, is the CB head, the, 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 the race head that CB makes, is that real similar to the, to the um, super flow design or is it completely well, the, different? The, in, the intake port of, of the super flow head is very similar to their comp eliminator head. Uh, that you know, I mean, it's it, which was it was actually, I mean, it, it wouldn't be fair to say, oh yeah, well they you know they they basically kind of ripped it off. They because they really didn't. I mean, it was uh, Ken and Dean's design mm -hmm. that they had on it. Uh, you know, it it was it was patterned off of a Cosworth intake. That's that's where it came from. That whole oval design. Right. Uh, and, and, and split apart like that. It's, it's off a of Cosworth and, um, and then, and then they just built on it, you know, and, and it was in the Superflow head was different in the fact that it had that rectangular, uh, you know, as opposed to like a, um, like a rhombus shape, like, like a, a stock valve cover. CBs incorporates a stock valve cover. The Superflow heads had this big jumbo, you know, rectangular valve cover. Yeah. I, I had, you know, which, which allowed for a lot more room, you know, to, to put, uh, to put aftermarket springs, you know, like a Chevy spring and things in there. And, um, it, it allowed for that, but it made for some, you know, some, some tightness. If you had an earlier model car where, where the engine compartment was, was small, you yeah. know, I mean, the, all the oval window stuff is really small back there you go with a later model car when whenever they increase the size of the engine compartment and you don't 
nearly have the problem, but you still have you still have uh, uh, fitment issues, especially like right around the area where the uh, like the bumper brackets would go. Oh, absolutely. I mean, especially in the early on the ovals and splits. Yeah, it's yeah the early ovals. It, it's it's pretty tough. tight. Yeah. So yeah, and being around all you are, uh, did now. Do you have any connection with the Bergs at this time? Because they manufacture their own stuff, or were they buying stuff from you guys? They, um, they, we, we did some stuff at at D Engineering. Um, you know, there when they built their shifter, you know, it was it was uh, it was built off of, you know, like like an early DDS style. I won't say that they copied it because they it, it didn't. But I mean, but it, there were some things that were that were similar mm-hmm. and uh and there were there were some cast aluminum uh shifter parts that that uh that we were um actually manufacturing to their specifications because their their shifter was a little bit different um and they and so they bought parts from us you know i mean and they bought other parts from us too i mean they bought they bought Molly pistons and cylinders from well, us. Well, and, and that was where I was taking the question because in Berg's in Berg's book, in Gene Berg's book, he would talk about how he does he sorts through stuff when he buys it, checks it, and then he pays extra because he's kind of a pain in the neck and he sorts. So here it is. It, 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 the, the, in the Berg book, it's the POTL. The pick, pick of the, of the litter. litter. Yes. Okay. That 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 was the phrase that he coined. Mm-hmm. And I can assure you of this. Because we sold them pistons and cylinders at the engineering, but we sold them a lot of pistons and cylinders at Johnny Speed and Chrome. Uh And he would pick up a bunch of pistons and cylinders and he would bring the pistons and cylinders (laughs) that he didn't want back. So, yes, was, was he going through them? He was most definitely going through them. And so, so did it kind of get to be a pain that pain in the butt, like, well, or do you just so, said, you know, we'll no, just charge really. you more. I mean, that, you know, that's just the way that it was. And, and, you know, you could either sell it to them or not. sell. you know, you can either sell your parts or not sell your parts. And now, well, how did that come back and help us one day while I was still at Johnny Speed and Chrome? Um, this is right, right when all the pro turbo racing started, we sold a lot of pistons and cylinders to, to, uh, Dave and Judy Kaywell, when they had Kaywell Racing Enterprises over in uh, in Santa Ana, uh-huh. they were big customers of ours, and they were they were pioneers in the early development of turbocharged engines, and they started pulling the uh, the wrist pins out of the bottom of the pistons when these cars were up on high boost, and they go, yeah, you know what? So we're looking at some old pistons, and they've changed these pistons. And they don't weigh the same anymore, and they don't look to be the same anymore. And so we took in, and we started doing a little bit, and I, and I do mean just only a little bit of investigative research. And it's like, yeah, they were absolutely right. So the guys from Molly fly up, you know, uh, to you know, to California, and so forth. And I called Gene, and I go, Gene, I said do you want to sit in on this meeting? Because the guys from Molly, they swear up and down that they haven't changed anything. I said, I have sets in my, um, in my own personal collection that shows that they are different. He mm-hmm. goes, Oh yeah. He says, he goes, I, I have 
the years that they changed. So Gene shows up with this milk crate full of pistons and this uh, this dial indicator looking type thing that had uh, what I can only describe as kind of like a uh, uh, the the jaw type vice grips that like body guys use you know to take and put put a panel together right and so forth but it, but this thing this thing i mean this is a thing that gene built and made so basically it, it it would measure the crown of the pistons and gene had every single iteration of molly piston oh wow and and so it started off with gene just kind of sitting there being quiet which is a, a typical thing with gene but he he let the, he let these guys unfold the lie, so to speak, and then Gene just dropped the hammer on him and said, "No, here's a piston from from 1970 something. Here's one from 70 something. Here's one from 80, and it's like, and here's what they weigh. Here's what they weigh right now, and here's the thickness of the crown. Look, I brought my gauge, and he's and he's measuring them. He goes." This is not the same piston. I'm telling you that right now. You guys have taken aluminum out of that. And they ate crow on that thing. And so Molly, being the manufacturer, they were trying to figure out how to increase profits. So they just started compromising the Yeah, the I mean, I'm, I'm, sure this, I'm sure I'm sure. I'm sure the, the way that it probably unravels. I mean, you know, you're a Volkswagen guy that's been around that you, you know that these, you know, at that time, uh, a naturally aspirated engine, you know, they were making well over 200 horsepower right. and, and turbocharged engines were making well over 400 horsepower. And this isn't like some on kill type thing. This is, this, these are like legitimate race things that they're not going to go out there and blow these things up. And all of a sudden they start hurting parts. Well, Molly's making pistons for a Volkswagen. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is, this is a 50 to 60 horsepower engine it's it's like they're not designed for for this it's like we can take some aluminum out of there i mean i'm sure they're engineer guys they never told me this but i'm sure their engineer guys probably looked at it and said oh no it doesn't need to have that much aluminum in there it's only making this kind of horsepower and they're only designed to run up to like 5,000 rpms like no that's yeah. not what that, but, but you were selling a forged racing piston yeah, and they're and they're and they're kind of cutting back on it, and and it seems yeah. to be like it seems to be a pattern in the VW world. You know what I mean? Even when we get something good, the quality starts to drop off. Like the story with Chris and the engine cases. You know, we finally get new aluminum cases. Everything's great, and then they just start. You know, Chris explains story to me walking through the fan the the factory, and he sees the tooling where they put the case in. They start machining it, and all the bits and pieces that secure everything, all the jigs are loose on it, and he's like. That can't be right. Like, there's how, how are they? You know what I mean? And so he starts yeah. checking things out, and it's like, you know, the, the, it's just the cash cow VW people, and like, yeah, you know, it's close enough. It's not like these are precision race machines. You know what I mean? And come to find out through drag racing and through perform, high performance VW well, stuff is how all this stuff unravels. Yeah, and the and the whole thing, you know, it it does boil down to, you know, it's like I will take Auto Linea. Okay, for for an example, I mean, right. we, we're still a customer of Autolinians. Um, we still buy engine cases. As a matter of fact, we just got engine cases in today. Um, but 
the number of engine cases that they build annually versus everything else that they make, uh, you know, air-cooled VW Type 1 heads versus any of the water-cooled stuff, not just Volkswagen, but, but other engines as well mm-hmm. and so forth, you're talking about a real small sliver of the pie for air-cooled. So right. how, much, how much are they going to do in the way of upkeep on tooling? Uh, how much priority is it going to take when uh, we could set up to run 20,000 of these engine blocks for a water cool or 20,000 of these cylinder heads um, versus setting up to run a thousand or 500. Yeah. What's going to take a price? What's going to take priority? I, I mean, it's, am I happy about that? I'm not happy about that, but I, but I'm realistic about it to go. Sometimes it's just a business decision. Sure. No. And, and, and we have to understand that. And, and that's the frustrating part with the VW hobby because we're a huge market segment in total, but it's so fragmented because there's so many different, so many different ways, means and methods to build the car and everything from engine kits. I mean, there's, we talked about this with Fred Simpson, you know, there's so many different uh-huh. engine combinations you can come up with. And so, so it's not like, the V8 world where you've got your three big things that you do as far as motor combinations and this, and then everybody can kind of perfect the part and piece. And there's such a big market share, even as big as, I mean, it's, it's still, a, I mean, obviously you work for the 800 pound gorilla in the industry, right? MP, who's the, probably has the lar- the largest share of VW aftermarket. Yeah. We, I mean, we definitely are, 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 are on the top, on the top tier and, when it comes to, the components and so forth. And, you know, when I first was talking to PK, who was the first CEO that came over there. Right. And he told me, you know, the, the initiative there was to try to get MP back to its roots, try to really see this market as a market that's been underserved and with quality control and kind of bringing in a bunch of brands under one banner. And then it increases your buying power, the demand with your manufacturers to where you can get better quality and and kind of trying to build a better brand on top of bringing better parts to the market. And we, we, you know, we kind of, one of the things we discussed is like, would people be willing to pay? And I guess you guys would probably know, are people willing to pay 10% more for a better quality product? Does it make, does it matter to the consumer from the research that you guys have done there? Yeah. I mean, I mean, we have uh, at work, we have, a, a Monday, a, a set Monday meeting that lasts an hour that is uh, is three of us that sit in, in the office and we go over whatever the topic's going to be of what needs improvement. You know, what do we need to do? What do we need to build? Uh, what is out there that, uh, that was once available that is no longer available uh, and those are, you know, those are like some of the markets that we've basically gone after instead of it being a let's replicate something that somebody else is, is doing something good with uh, to, hey, you know, the thing that we replicated 15 years ago that's kind of uh, that, that is, is a very troublesome part. Let's fix the troublesome portion of it. Sure. Uh, you know, it's 
it's what do what do people want? Well, I mean, uh, brake kits and so forth. Do you want uh, do you want just a a big cast iron hub that's that that weighs just as much as everything else, or do people want Willwood brakes? And you know, so we so we made Willwood kits. Uh, we we made you know all kinds of forge uh, suspension components forge because everybody else had cast. And that's it. And and that's what it had gone to. And everybody's cop was a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. And uh, you know, and we have uh, an an R and D engineering department that goes. You know what? The the right the right sp- uh, spud is not even in the same location as the left spud. These things are com- two completely different things. And they go through and three D model it and uh, and produce prints and drawings and then it's like okay so do we want to do this in cast iron again or do we want to do it in forge in a forge and the the difference in price between the two isn't much but not everybody will pay the tooling fee to take and switch it from a casting to a forging right and you take and you do that and now you're back being really close to what uh the VW factory put out because they put out a forged unit and they didn't have any, any cast suspension components. Right. And I, did you guys just come out with a forged, uh, was a spindle or we, we just, we're just launching new forged spindles, uh, for, uh, that are drop spindle. And because, uh, because they were done off of fresh new tooling, they didn't have, they don't have the wide track width that the cast ones did nice. uh, again, that was a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy um, that, that had been done by numerous companies over the years. Um, and, uh, you know, last year we came out with the, with the, with the ball joint uh, uh, trailing arms because there weren't any available. I mean, you know, people were still paying a good, I think 35, $45 for like a ball joint core, that uh per arm that you know you still need to push the ball joint out and 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 put a new one in there and we sell the arms by themselves we sell them as a set we sell them as a set with with a european uh ball joint press in that we press in in the anaheim you know so this isn't a an overseas part this is this is actually you know put together uh, uh in our building using a press that was built custom to take and push those things in. I mean, it's better than than the factory had, honestly. Yeah. No, I mean. Yeah, and, and we've gone into other market segments. You know, three fifty six uh, Porsche spindles. We made those, and, and we made forged in those. Why? They're not available anymore, and and most of them um, that you can get out of a wrecking yard. You know, typically they weren't serviced very well, so the bearing surfaces aren't very good and you know what we worked with a very well known which uh, i'm not at liberty to say right now but i mean you'll you'll see it you know in the in the next coming months um because we worked with him when we designed the whole thing and he put them together and and um and installed them on you know a ridiculously high dollar 356 yeah. and, and did all the uh the measurements and so forth for you know caster camber and alignment 
and said, you know, these things are just, uh, I will buy X amount of these from you immediately. As soon as they hit the building, I'll buy them. And, and we're selling those things complete with, um, with German, uh, King and Link pins already pressed into them. And again, we press those in at the building in Anaheim. You know, that's part of the production portion of it that, uh, that I got involved with this year. And, uh, and it's nice when you make a, a, a really nice product and also nobody else has it. And because we're private equity and, uh, which is, you know, the whole idea behind most private equities is an infusion of cash so that you can take and go do these things that not very many people want to, want to throw that kind of money, uh, after tooling, you know, right. I mean, on, you know, and, and then expect that, uh, they may not get all their money back, you know, in 30 to 60 days. No, I think, and so where do you see, how do you see the VW industry? Because that's the side you've been on, right? The manufacturing parts and supplies and distribution. Well, I mean, I'm not just even in that. I mean, we just, we, you know, I, I'll get back. I will answer your question, but I uh -huh. mean, but it's not only VW for us. I mean, our re our most recent acquisition, like in the past 60 days, is PMO that that does uh, that did carburation for the last uh, almost 30 years, um, and uh, in the Porsche six-cylinder air cooled. Yeah. So he made he made carburetors and uh, fuel injection for both mechanical and EFI. Well. That is now inside of our building, and we just got the first ten sets done, and we're we're machining those castings, and those are cast uh, in a Southern California place that is known for for aircraft, and they're ISO uh, nine thousand one, and uh, all the component pieces are are they're really high uh, high end, and and of course you know it's a Porsche market, so that's also high end too. Yeah. So our acquisitions are, are, you know, they're, although the air cooled market is still, the air cooled VW market is still our core business. Mm -hmm. Um, where we're branching out is, is with a number of German vehicles, you know, mostly everything that's within the, you know, VW Porsche and Audi type family with, you know, uh, one of the first acquisitions that, took place before I got there is 034 Motorsports, which is Audi and water cooled Volkswagen. Uh, and they are up in the San Francisco Bay area in the city of Fremont. Well, we machine a number of their parts again in our Anaheim facility on our CNC machines. So uh, the machine shop in the two and a half years that I've been there, the machine shop has more than tripled in size. Yeah. That's, and, and I mean, it's gotta be to you. I mean, I would think it's gotta be exciting to see VW kind of turning the corner. I mean, cause you've been in there when it was, it's all home built guys, home built stuff, things being manufactured by proximity and luck to be near this and that. And then it evolves into to a booming business in the eighties. And then it starts to taper off and starts to regress a little bit. And then you see, kind of where it's at today where you're part of a VW, a VW manufacturing company that can 
really deliver to what the consumers want. You know what I mean? Like with the wheel with yeah, brakes and, and stuff like that. It, I mean, it is. It's, it's, it's I, I thoroughly enjoy the fact that I get to work where my passion is. And, uh, and, and, and even at, you know, my ripe old age of 64 that I, that I have been involved in the VW industry for over a half a century now. I mean, you know, so did you uh, did you ever think that you would be still in this industry and at the level where it's at? Because it seems like you continue to keep moving up as far as the company and the capability of the company and all that stuff as it as it keeps growing. You know. Well, you know, I mean, it's 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 quite a bit different. Okay, um, when I, I mean, I worked for D Engineering for twenty eight years. And, uh, and I was their vice president, but I ran their company and, uh, and to have, you know, to have the owners like entrust that into you was pretty special. Yeah. The size of the company that I work for now, um, the thing that I, that I really like about that is, uh, this is real, real time, real big time corporate America. And, uh, I did, I never went for, you know, the whole education process to have the level of job that I have within a corporate America company like that. Sure. Um, so, but I'm enjoying that because I don't, I, I would have never thought that I would have had that. Um, if you ask me in my early twenties, do I think that I would have been in the Volkswagen industry? No. I mean, I remember on my 25th birthday, um, I was going through like a, a little bout of depression. I had already been married. I'm a single father and I have full custody. Um, and I, and it's like, I have very little college and I don't. And the biggest thing is, I don't know what I want to do. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what I want to do. And, you know, fast forward to today and it's like, I've had a pretty awesome life. <laughs> well, I mean, especially, I mean, especially, I mean, I mean, it really has been an awesome life and yes, it's, you know, what, it's work and work always has its ups and downs, but there's been way more ups than has been downs in my life. Oh, absolutely. And being a car guy and being in the hobby that you love and getting to kind of be the guy that's there all the time and seeing and being a part of that growth and, and the, the business has got to be, I mean, that's got to be enjoyable because, you know, for you working is kind of going to a car meet or headed to, you know, see what's happening in the, in the show circuit or the drag racing scene or the off-roading, whatever, but somehow some way tied and connected to the hobby. Cause even still to this day, you still have your 67 that you've had, which we haven't even touched yeah. on the 67 yet, which you've had that car, your 67 bug that's been featured in hot VWs two times. And on the latest issue of VW trends, not a lot of cars have graced both covers of both magazines. Yours has, how long have you owned that car? Uh, I built that car in, uh, I think it was like 2002, 2003, somewhere right around there. And, um, and I, as ironic as that is, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to skip around here on a, on a story because yeah. then I'll tie it back together. Uh, 
my very first car, as I said, uh, that I bought in 1974 mm -hmm. was a 67 Bug. That 67 Bug was originally Savannah beige, and uh, and I got it home. I had a friend next door that does body work. I tried to do the, you know, lower the thing and dechrome it. And, uh, and I'll, all I did was make a mess out of it. And, uh, and, and fortunately my next door neighbor kind of fixed the thing up, but it lived in primer for quite a few years. Well, maybe, maybe a year and a half. And then I painted it rally yellow, which is, which is the same color as my 67 is today. Mm -hmm. So the thing then was everybody w wanted to, uh, you know, you decrumbed your car and either you brought it back to a, a factory color, or if you were really trick about it, then you, you picked a Porsche color. And there was tons of, of uh, India red and guards red Porsche uh, Volkswagen yeah. okay, that were Cala. And so, Went through the whole cow look thing again, 1974, and so I'm 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 looking through the the thing at the uh, at the paint store, and lo and behold, what is there? Um, Porsche 914s had had uh, rally yellow, <laughs> and Volkswagen came with it the next year, and so I'm not a yellow person, <laughs> right? When it comes to it's it's like it's the only thing that I own that's yellow. I my favorite color is blue. At my high school, there was a Cal look. Sixty seven had two two colors of of blue. They had the dark blue that was called VW blue, and then they had uh, Zenith blue, which is the light blue. There was one of each of those in a sixty seven that were Cal look. So I couldn't go with blue. It wasn't really much of red. And I wanted something a little bit different because there were tons of, like I said, tons of Porsche uh, red cars that were out there. And so I went with the yellow. So I had that on my 18th birthday. I'm out cruising around and a drunk driver ends up taking and totals that entire car out. And I mean, and to say that I was bummed out would be the absolute uh, understatement. I mean, it's like, I can't believe as all the time and effort and, and, uh, you know, odd jobs and so forth to take and get, get it to this point and only to have this thing completely total. Wow. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's like I had already graduated from high school three months earlier. Uh, I, you know, I, I always would, you know, in my house, you know, you you paid for your own insurance, you paid for your own gas, that sort of thing, uh, and that's just the way it was. And the insurance that I had was did not cover. I, I did not pay for the uninsured motorist, which uh, I don't even think that exists today. Right. And so, I was left with a total car from from a guy that was that didn't have any money and that just totaled his car and was arrested for drunk driving. Oh. So. Fast forward to my current 67. The 67 that I bought uh, was from a, like a friend of a friend type thing. He goes, oh, yeah, so those guys, car, you should go over there and, and, and check it out. It's like, okay, I'll go check it out. Where is it? He tells me where it is. I kid you not. 
it was less than 60 yards away from where I bought my first car. Oh, no way. Okay. In, in Westminster. I get the car and the car, the car has like, uh, uh, like a blue paint on it. And so I'm sanding it down and the car underneath it is Savannah beige, the same exact thing. I bought the car because the pan on the thing was absolutely perfect. And it was a black plate car. So the, the, the license plates on my car are the original license plates from 1967 that went on that car. Too cool. And, and so to me, there was like no doubt I'm going to take this thing apart and I'm going to build a bug that I always wanted to have, mm-hmm. but never had the money to even get remotely close to. And, and because I, at that time, I was the vice president at, uh, at D engineering. Um, you know, it's like, I got some pretty sweet deals. There were a lot of friends that took care of me over the years and, uh, that I took care of and they re- they returned the favor and um, I got to build the thing at my pace exactly the way that I wanted to. And, uh, and people had heard that I was building the car and they all, uh, BWs came over and they go, we want to take a picture. I said, it's only going to look like that for one day. I said, as soon as it comes down off the hoist, I said, it's going to get driven. And when it gets driven, I'm not going to come back and go, Oh, I need to do some touch-up paint here. If it gets rock chips, those those are rock chips that right. are going to live. So, uh, so that's how that '67 came about. In between there, I probably owned another thirty or forty Volkswagens. Yeah. But that's... but they're they're bookended there. I've got a '55 uh, threefold rag top in my garage that is completely 100% apart, all painted. Ready to go back together. I have every single thing for it. Everything is either plated, painted, um, polished, re-chromed, new parts. I have everything to put it back together, except for just a little bit of time. <laughs> and now, what's so? What's the setup on the car? And when you built it, did you build it as traditional cow look as you could? I, I built it to emulate my car from there, except. What if I had an unlimited budget, what would I have done then? So Mm -hmm. I built it with all the different things. And I have, and you know, it's like growing up and in that, uh, and then seeing like Volkswagen in its heyday, you know, everybody went through the, you know, different bumpers, you know, the bumper blades, uh, small overriders, uh, regular stock bumpers, uh, T-bars. You know, all the different things and so forth. Then, you know, then in the 80s, it kind of morphed into being like uh, monochromatic colors with, right. you know, with the headlight bezels and the door handles and so forth painted the same color as the car. And then it went through a stage of then they would they would just be black to be different. Well, I have all of that stuff. I have black door handles. I have yellow door handles and I have the polish door handles and I have T-bars and I have black T-bars and I have painted T-bars and I have, I have Chrome bumpers and I have the bumpers with the stainless steel overriders. I've got all that stuff. And I have six different kinds of wheels and tires that are in my garage right now for that car. Why? Because 
I wanted to be able to change it what whatever way that I wanted to. It's got four wheel disc brakes on it. I have I made it so that that regardless of what I wanted to do, the first the first wheels that were on there were the BRM copies. Right. The second wheels on there are the alloys that are on it right this minute. Mm-hmm. I I'm and I didn't want to run adapters, so I made it so you you unbolt the caliper, you pull the thing up. You pull, you pull the pull the rotor off of it. You put the other rotor on it, and it, it and you just slide it back on. You don't have to bleed brakes or anything like that. So I have three different types of of Porsche pattern wheels, and I have three different types of VW wide five pattern wheels. And that's just the, so I can I can make it whatever I want. And that's the way, that's the way to do it. You know, I mean, I think it's, it's so, it, it, and you drive that car quite a bit, don't you? I, I, I don't drive, I, I wouldn't say that I drive it quite a bit. I mean, um, I probably drive it, I don't know, like six to 800 miles a year at the most. That's quite a bit. Um, that's quite a bit for a 12 to one compression. Uh, but... Well, yeah, you know what, I, I guess, you know, I, I mean, I, I run it on, uh, for the most part on, on uh, C12, BBC12, mm-hmm. you know, race fuel. And, but, you know, the, even the cops, you know, that, that are in Huntington Beach and so forth, you pull up to the stop sign, they can smell it and they just smile at you. They're just like, you're just an old dude and you're not over, you're not over here burning rubber. You're not, you know, you're not going 90 miles an hour in a 45 mile an hour zone. You're driving the car and so forth. And, uh, yeah, you know what? It, it puts a smile on their face. No, oh, absolutely. I- and you're a member of DKP. Now you member DKP two, three, one, three. So, so yeah. So the so DKP one. Well, you know, it, I I I I don't know if I'm gonna get the the dates exact, but I think it started in like 1965 ish, mm-hmm. and uh, you know was mostly most it mostly grew out of like Anaheim High School with with the Volkswagen guys there that, that were, uh, uh, predominantly just fast cars that, uh, that they can go out and, and beat up on V8s on, on Friday nights. Right. And then that it kind of, and then a couple of the guys ended up building some really nice, uh, fast cars too. And DKP two really took it to that next level. DKP one kind of went to the wayside, um, with the Vietnam war and, you know, in the late 60s and so forth, people were, were getting shipped off to, you know, to, to go fight a war. And uh, and so it it kind of disbanded. And uh, a couple guys put DKP2 together and they really raised the bar to not only could these do these cars have to run uh, the number, OK, which is over 100 miles an hour and a quarter mile, but they could also go out and pretty much win any car show that they got that they that they entered into and then you know and that one lasted for for a while too i think maybe a little bit longer and then um and and then it disbanded and the uh i think it was in like 91 somewhere right around there yeah that uh, that dkp3 uh, three of the guys that are still in the club today, um, you know, said, Hey, we, we really want to start this thing up. We want to, we want to take and do this thing again. Like, like how DKP two was 
you know, with the fast cars, nice cars, um, you have to, you know, you have to be asked to join the club. You don't ask if you can join the club. You have to be, you have to be invited to join the club. And, um, and to me, when I, when I was invited after my car was done, I mean, at, at that point in time, it was, um, uh, I was never in a car club before. And, and I saw the DKP one guys, I saw DKP two in all of its glory and so forth. And to me, it was just to know people that were in those clubs to me was amazing at that time. Right. To think that I would ever be in that, that club it would have never, ever dawned on me in a million years, you know, and uh, going to their cruise nights and so forth. And they heard that I you know, had this car and, and brought the car out there and they go, oh man, you know, we, we, we yeah, hey, we want you, do you ever think about being, you know, becoming a member? It's like, oh man, are you kidding me? <laughs> I'd love to. Yeah. So, no, that's, I mean, that's, yeah, so that was a full, you know, again, a, a very full circle type, uh, type deal for me. And, uh, and the, the guy that was my sponsor to bring me in, uh, Jim Sarge Edmondson, is the only guy that was voted into DKP one and voted into DKP two. Oh, very cool. And he has a red 67. So he has the right here also. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, it's, there's so much, you know, and, and if we, if we're we're talking about this, you know, you've been, you've been in the scene for 50 years and it's still like, (laughs) as to some people, let's say some aliens that are listening to this podcast, would be thinking like this is so ridiculous. These are two guys that are that are middle aged dudes. I mean, I'm I just turned fifty. You're sixty four, and we're over here talking about car clubs and all this stuff and just how cool it is. But it's like, I think there's just something to be said about the car hobby where once you're kind of hooked into it and you think it's cool, like it's cool forever for you, you know. And I think yeah. it, it's just oh, yeah. part of that you know, how your car is an extension of your personality. You get to drive who you are down the street, you know? And, and I think it's, it's incredible that we get to still celebrate all this stuff in this hobby and it still continues to grow. I mean, I, I'm, I'm surprised that every year, you know, when I think to myself like, ah, maybe the scene's fade now and it's more me than the scene. You know what I mean? It's like the scene just keeps yeah. growing and growing, especially from a worldwide standpoint, you know, worldwide. Oh, yeah, always, you know, there's always the things that, that it's like, there were times where things were not, not necessarily, you know, uh, you're not as entrenched in it because, you know, you got kids that are maybe doing sports and, and, uh, and, and that sort of thing, and you know, or uh, you know, that life is just kind of, kind of, kind of dealt you a different hand, right? Uh, right now, and so you you don't have the time, money, opportunity to take and and pursue that, but you never really get out of it, you know. And and the the funniest part about the whole thing to me, you know, uh, is you can pretty much go. I mean, you know, there's a there's a local um, uh, uh, car show get together type thing every Saturday morning in Huntington Beach called Donut Derelicts. And you show up there with Volkswagens and people will always come and talk to you, even though less than 5% of the parking lot has a 
Volkswagen in it. Yeah. You know, most of these things are street rods and so forth. And, uh, you know, there's more 32 Fords in that, in that, in that parking lot than there are all of the Volkswagen buses, bugs, Harmingias, everything combined. Um, but they all come over and they'll, they'll all talk to you because 100%. everybody has a Volkswagen store. That's it. And it, you know, the, the, the interesting part is, I mean, t- for donut derelicts, you got to get there at four o'clock in the morning, yeah. <laughs> four in the no, morning to get crazy. a spot. It's, uh, right. it's absolutely insane. And I've, uh, there's a couple of times I try to catch it and I show up like nine o'clock and it's long done. And, yeah. and, you know, I've, I've caught it a few times and it's pretty impressive how many, different cars and they're all mostly classics you know they, they do a cars and coffee here in vegas and i would say it's a solid 50 percent cars that are newer than you know 2000 and mm-hmm. you know they might be muscle cars or whatever modern day stuff but it's nothing like what you guys have done there and it's you know there's just such a wide variety of classics and it's that it, it's 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 just that car hobby as a whole. That's just part of who we are. You know, it's not a fad. Yeah. You know, we're, no, we're... I, I, I'm, you know, I'm a car guy. I'm not just a Volkswagen car guy. Yeah. Volkswagen is my passion. Yeah. Okay. But I like, I, I love cars. I mean, and, and I've always found, I mean, growing up when I did in Orange County and so forth, you were, you know, it, it's, it's like, I lived in a town that, uh, that had a, uh, probably a half a mile from me had a very, I mean, it, it had a Hispanic uh, barrio in it. And, uh, but these are also guys that I went to school with. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I got along okay with them. The culture then I was, I was the guy that surfed. They, and they were people that were low riders and low riders and surfers didn't, they didn't mesh. Okay. I mean, there wasn't anybody that had a low rider that drove their their lowrider down to Huntington Beach to go surfing. Not right. one single friend of mine that was a lowrider. The whole lowrider thing to me with you know with the candy paint and the metal flakes and you know the eighteen different colors and so forth, it did not do anything for me as this is what I like. But the thing that I had, even as a teenager, is I had an appreciation for the amount of time and effort that they put into making the car look the way that they wanted to. And it's like, this was not easy. This was not easily obtainable. This was something that they really poured their heart into. And I, and I could feel that, you know, even though it wasn't my cup of tea, I still, I still had a tremendous amount of respect for the fact that, you know what, these, these guys are car guys too. Oh, a hundred percent. And, and, and that's why one of my, you know, I'm lucky enough to live in Vegas and we do the SEMA show. And since I was, since I was a kid, we'd go to a copy machine and, and, and forge and make phony passes to the SEMA show. Yeah. <laughs> we used to, oh, you know, it was, it was everything we could to even just get there, walk around the front parking lot. And it didn't matter what type of car. It was just car. It was cool. It was new. It was you know, and, and there we, I get kind of spoiled because you go there and it's sensory overload. You, you know, you just walk around and you've seen the most outrageous car stuff ever, but you yeah, know, you can see the most outrageous cars and, and not even go inside the building. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just, but it's, it's the car hobby. It's like a true car guy just appreciates. Yeah, I, right. And, and that, and that's what, I mean, that's what really kind of, kind of makes it is that, uh even if you're not 
uh, of this kind of guy. Uh, you, you could still, if you're a car guy like I am, you will still have an appreciation for anything and everything that's out there. I mean, I, I would easily tell somebody, it's like, you know, it's like, hey, I really think what you did there, I said, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a guy that's even into this, but I can appreciate what you've done. And I, and I think, I think you've just done an absolute phenomenal job. Uh, you know, that the, the attention to detail is, is over the top. And, uh, I just, it's, I just wanted to take, and even though it's not my cup of tea, I wanted to stop and tell you how awesome your car was. Oh, yeah. And I think that, I think that makes it, uh, that much more special for some people. No, it, it does. I think people, you know, a car guy can recognize another car guy's hard work into something. And, uh, you know, it's just, it, I think it, it, that's some of the, my favorite thing is when I go to these hot rod shows at one of my Volkswagens and just all kind of people just come up and talk to me and tell me how much they appreciate my car and how unique it is. And, you know, we're used to going to VW shows and seeing 50, 50 the same, <laughs> the same car that you've got over there yeah. but it's it's nice to mix it up every now and again and uh and bring that to 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 different arenas where people can really appreciate it but i i love it man and and i loved your bug when i saw it and i really liked the way that oh, your, your one piece windows didn't rattle and so you're gonna have to show me <laughs> you have to show me that trick there so i can get my little chop top dialed in and uh i mean it, it it's it's so cool the, the the build and the kind of throwback, but with the ability to switch it up any way that you want it and, and to be able to be, maybe that's what I need to do to be happy with one car because I've got so, I've got too many cars and uh, I can't figure out which one I'm, I'm wanting to take out, whether it's the, the pink notchback roadster or the chop top or one of my buses. And uh, I, you know, one day, well, let, let, let me just do a correction for you real quick. <laughs> You can never have too many cars. <laughs> you know, that's why I keep telling my wife. And, and then I go in the garage and I go to hop in and drive something. I either got a flat tire, a dead battery or something. And then I get kind of irritated. And I say, you know what I need? I need a car. I need a car guy Friday in my in my garage, keeping my stuff dialed in. So when I get home, I can just get in the car and drive it. But I've been, I, yeah. I, I've been pretty fortunate to be able to acquire cars that are in my collection, plus build some cars that I still have that, I really get to enjoy, but, uh, yeah, I, I love them all, man. I, I like the, you know, and I go through these phases, you know, where I'm, I'm really into, I've got another type three gear. It's on jack stands in my garage that I've slowly been acquiring parts for and waiting for the time that I'm going to attack the thing and just build it. But it's like, in the meantime, I just picked up that limousine bus and some other stuff, but I just love, and, and the podcast is turning me into like this, guy who's collecting tidbits of history that I paid no attention to before, you know? So. Yeah. Uh, no, you talk to, you, I mean, you know, you could talk to somebody that, that has only even been in the industry for 10 or 15 years, but if they're in the industry, they're going to have, you know, they're going to have a peel back the curtain moment. Oh yeah. yeah. Which, which, uh, which not everybody is always privy to. And that's, and that's always been, uh, I think probably for me, uh, having been blessed to work in this industry for so long, is uh, I've had so many peel back the curtains moments that, <laughs> that, and they still come. Yeah. yeah, I mean they still do. It's it's not like well yeah, that, it's like I, I you know I always tell everybody it's like oh yeah 
yeah, you know what? Uh, you know everybody, and you know everything. I go, that's because I'm old, and I've been around for a long time in this. And I said, but there still is things that that still uh, I'll be talking to somebody, and they'll go, oh yeah, you know so and so, you know it's this. Do you know that they did this? Do you know that? And it's like, no, I never knew that. You're kidding me. How could you put nothing? You've known this guy for 40 years. I go, I never knew that. Yeah, there's a there, there's a lot there's a lot out there and uh, yeah and 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 I love chase I love chasing it all down. You know, one one of the things I picked up also, you know, uh, with that bus is I picked up. I actually have uh, <laughs> I've ne- I've never been a guy who cared about collecting things like this, but I actually picked up Lee Layton's dragster motor with the supercharger and the twin Strombergs on it. So that, uh-huh. that that's currently sitting in my garage right now, and I'm not wow. really sure what I'm going to do with it. But I thought, like, besides it being a classic piece of history, it would just be so cool to have it either on a start stand where it starts and runs or in a little buggy or something that I could take to the track just to run the thing. I don't know. But it's just so cool to see this really unique supercharger with these twin Strombergs and this this four independent tube exhaust. And it's just it's just uh, it's it's just I never thought I'd catch myself looking to purchase things like that you know what i mean and there's there's like all kinds of things you know like you've been to the to the schley museum right i have not like believe it or not that's oh. one i've been to europe i've been to all kinds of places volks world you, super you, show you definitely and... need to go because there's there's a there's a lot of history that's there and um like the to me one of the coolest things that's there but it's it i mean it's it's not like that this is a uh, yeah, so this is a spectacularly built, uh, you know, with with all all this thing in mind. But the the dragster, the little bit quick, I think uh, dragster that that uh, that Gene Berg used uh-huh. to take, and, and he would he would put it on the top of his beetle, drive to the racetrack, pull the motor out of the beetle, put it into the dragster. And then and then race it and then take it out of the dragster, put it back in, put the car back up on top and drive home. It, this thing is like a ratty old 1960s something. But when you look at it, it's it, I mean, it's like when you look at that, that's what it was in its infancy. Then you then you realize that, you know, what? it's this is a this is a, a really pretty cool thing that not everybody gets to see. Yeah. No, and 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 I've got to go over there because I've got uh, commitments uh, from the Schley brothers to get them on the podcast and do and track and get some of their history. So I, I, my plan is to do it relatively soon. I'd definitely love to get down there. Yeah, they, you know, they they have their museum. Truly is, I mean, you know, I, I mean, it was given that name, but it truly is a museum. I mean, it's got all kinds of stuff. There's there's a number of things that um, that a lot of people have, you know. That, that, that are either like on loan over there or that they've been given to them and they were and they were also really good about uh, documenting everything because when they when they were racing under the MP banner for, for Joe Batone, I mean their paycheck basically came out of, of like how many inches of, of uh, of recognition they got in a magazine or or you know or a newsprint and so because That's that funny. was that was their paycheck right they kept 
Okay, so so uh, they were they were really good in 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 being able to um, to archive all that stuff. And so they they have a lot of stuff. I mean, from back in the day. I mean, there's 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 a there's a lot of you you already know you you know me well enough. You know that I don't have any any problem like talking for a long period of time. <laughs> I mean, we're almost at two hours. Right I know, now. and I love it. <laughs> so, so, um, and a number, a number of people that were uh, kind of uh, have since passed, like Lyle Cherry, uh, uh, Bear Barilow, who, who who's an old NHRA racer, mm-hmm. also for Volkswagen, who lives over in Hawaii now, and he's getting up there in age, and uh, Gary Berg, and, and uh, Dean Kirsten. And the Schleys, and there was a there was a couple of a couple of other guys too that uh, we were all over. We were at the Schleys one evening because most of these guys don't live there. They're from Texas and from Oklahoma, and they just happened, you know, uh, to be out for for an event. And uh, some of them were up for the for the bugging and decided to to uh, either fly or drive down from Sacramento, and everybody kind of got together over there. And we're probably like 45 minutes to an hour into everybody just sitting around this big table, just BSing and so forth. <laughs> and, and, and I, I think it might have been Dean Kirsten that said, you know, I don't think I've ever heard you be this quiet for that long. I go, I said, I am in absolute awe. I said, I'm just taking in all of these old race stories that I've only heard bits and pieces and only small that I only know a small portion of this. Um, but yeah, I, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm in, I'm in the presence of VW royalty as far as I'm concerned, because all you guys are the guys that, that took and, and, uh, were out there running the buggins before I had a driver's license. Yeah. And I mean, so, so it's like, I, I remember your names because I, I, you know, I, I, I read the magazines then and yeah. So yeah, I think that's a I think that's my shoe that's in the picture right there. <laughs> that's it, yeah, it's just it, you know, I dig it, man. I uh, I look forward to to catching more of this history and getting more of it documented. And uh, I mean, with your with your fit, you said you have a fifty five in the garage. Yeah, fifty five uh, three fold rag top that the my dad was the second owner of that and. Uh, he gave it to me before he passed away, like, I mean, quite a few years before he passed away. And I took the thing I, I did with it exactly the same thing uh, that I did with my with my 67, with the exception of because it was an all original car and it and it was all it was a, a numbers matching car. Uh-huh. Um, the it's like the ID plate. You could see that there was uh, the yellow grease pencil that. um that was written on over in Germany that said rot leader, uh, ship USA. So it was rot leader means red leather yeah. in, in German. And, you know, so it had the red leatherette, um, upholstery in it. And I, so I, I took pictures of all that stuff so that whenever I, I took everything apart and I pulled the ID plate off of it, uh, and had everything blasted down to the metal and then, uh, you know, epoxy, uh, uh, primered and, and the whole deal before it went back to the original black. Um, 
which it was it was black when I got it. Um, that I, I I kept the picture so that I could give it to an artist so that he could put it back with with the with the yellow grease pencil before I put the tag back on it. Oh, very cool. And that car that that car the build on that's going to go back to stock all original. Well, so there's a, there's there's a couple of ways it's headed. Um, <laughs> it, um, I, I've got it. I've got it like that. And I also have drop spindles for it. Uh, so that, but I, and I have the original wheels. Uh, so I, I, I've have it going back, uh, because I have the original 36 horsepower engine, but I also, uh, was able to, to find from a friend of mine years ago, a new old stock from the factory, 36 horsepower engine case. And so, um, um, the reconnection with with uh, Daryl Batone uh, years ago at European Bug Game, uh-huh. you know, we're sitting around talking. And I was telling him, you know, so this is what I want to do. I want to build like, you know, like a, 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 a cro- I, I said I got a cross of heads. I got Nicosil pistons and cylinders. Uh, I want to go titanium valves. I want to go super wazoo here, stroker crank, uh, Carrillo rod, that sort of thing. Um, get rid of like the pencil lifter type deal and put like 912 lifters sleeve it and the whole deal so that's that conversation is what got daryl to build his 36 horsepower carmen Ghia. oh really that, that they could go run that that the mojave mile so uh so that that whole thing spawned out of a out of a, a european bug in trip yeah that's so rad so yeah so so I, I've got two engines for it. I've got a, it's almost a 1700 CC built on a 36 horsepower case. That's probably going to make about 125 horsepower wow. that had, um, that has some custom made, but they look like, uh, they're Jeanberg 48 IDA manifolds with a cross of bottoms on them that were never ever made, but it says Jeanberg on them. And it looks like that these were cast like that. So and and I have a I have a new old stock set of of Italian forty eight IDAs that will go on that engine. Nice. So what so what do you think that thing's going together? I don't know. <laughs> like I said, <laughs> it's it's it. I mean, it's been painted and done for probably four years. Sounds like you need to call I mean, the, call, call the, up your buddies and have a Brover haul and get everybody over there and put yeah, that thing together. Yeah, I know. Well, the problem with it is is, is I'm I. You know, with when I did my '67, I was very—I I wasn't rushed for time, or, or you know, there was no deadlines. Unlike my very first '67, that it got painted in my garage. I came home from work on Friday, took it apart. The guy came over and he painted it in my garage on Saturday, and Sunday morning I was putting it back together because I had to go to school on Monday. <laughs> so, so funny. So. So I didn't, you know, I don't have that thing, but you know, that these cars have been, you know, after they're painted, you know, I run it. There's been a tap that's been ran through any, any hole that has, that has threads in it has had a tap run over it. Any bolt has had a die run over it. And I, you know, I, and I kept all the original, like the, the Camex uh, eight millimeter bolts that have a 14 millimeter head on. I, they're all the original ones and everything then was all, um, black wax oxide and so I I chased all the threads and I sent it out for black wax oxide <laughs> so and 
and when and when I put my my sixty seven together, it's the same way as this. Every single bolt has you know has uh, anti seize on it. The cart is actually will actually be built better than when it came off the factory floor. Yeah, well, listen. because it's not a production piece. It's it is a you know it is a custom even if, even if it looks stock, even if it's in its stock look, but. Again, I, I, as I as I said earlier, I got plenty of tires and wheels that uh, that will work on that. Well, I like it. Next time I'm down in Orange County, I'm tracking you down. We're gonna go grab lunch and we're gonna go. I'm gonna go check out this '55. There and, you go. Uh, give give it the once over. But man, I I tell you, I appreciate you for coming on the podcast, man. And uh, no problem. I have My been, pleasure. I have really enjoyed all the stories and the history, and uh, I'm looking forward to to catching up with you some more. And uh, maybe getting some guys together and doing a little bit of a roundtable about some of the some of the stuff from back in the day, some of the the shops and the things and the and what was going on in the culture of VW at that time. So we definitely. Uh, my next step is get your buddy Lonnie on the podcast, and then we can uh, start. Yeah, he's he's over in Hawaii right now. I know. <laughs> I'm on him. I'm trying to get. I'm, I'm trying to get him on too. So I just got to round out the whole crew, and then one day we'll. We'll sit in front of the Mexican restaurant in, in Old Town, uh, was it Old Town Orange and uh, we'll, uh, Garden Grove? Garden Grove, yeah. And yep. we'll and we'll uh, we'll I'll sit back like a fly and just listen to all the conversations. <laughs> all right. Hey. All right, Bill. Rick, man, thanks a bunch again. I appreciate it, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you again. Okay. Take care. If you guys like that podcast, and I'm sure you did. Make sure you guys give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts so other VW enthusiasts can find our podcast more readily. And don't forget, copy this podcast or any of your favorite podcasts and share them in a group text to a bunch of your VW friends so that they can enjoy some of the good VW talk that we get. Matter of fact, if you guys find a specific timeline or something that we talk about that's relevant, copy it, send it to your friends. Say, hey, man, go look at, you know, 15 minutes and 22 seconds and you'll hear this conversation about this. But love to get any feedback from you guys. You can always email me at bill at letstalkdubs.com and we'll make sure that we uh, address your you address your questions or topics or concerns. And uh, if you give us any kind of letter where you like the podcast, we'll go ahead and read it on the air. Sam Coots says, Bill, I usually don't do things like this, but I felt I should let you know how much I enjoy your podcast. Lifelong VW enthusiast, owner and racer, operating air-cooled restoration shop in Arvada, Colorado. Over the last few years, his interest in VWs has dropped a little bit where he hardly drives me anymore. And on a whim, he went to EBI this year, had a good time, and he reignited his passion. A few weeks ago, a close friend of his encouraged him to listen to the podcast. He begrudgingly agreed, and after listening and enjoying several episodes, he says, I feel the drive to do something with my VWs coming back pretty strong. I've really, li- I'm really listening to the stories from the people who built cars I've admired, influenced my builds over the years. I really appreciate what you've done. And he's really enjoys the podcast. You know, says uh, talks about the episode with Dave Conklin. I, I talked about Scott Smith and his black MP equipped 67 bug and the issue hot VWs with Mike Smith's red 67. And it was in high school uh, building his first bug, which he still has. And he was blown away by both cars. He'd love to listen to podcasts with both those guys. I know I've been talking to Mike Smith about getting him on the podcast. Uh, we did exchange some information previously, but looking to track him down. And uh, Sam, for sure, man, appreciate you giving us some 
kudos on the podcast, you know. Also, Rob Craig says, Bill, just want to drop your line, let y'all know that I love the podcast. The guests you have and the info I get from listening is fab. Let George know we're sending him some love as well. Y'all are great entertainment. LTD has become my go-to. It's my definite favorite podcast. Keep it up. His spot is in North Bama. North Bama. One day I'm going to go through North Bama. Uh, Not really a strong VW scene, but would be doing flips if I ever got to Vegas for one big Vegas VW blot. Ha ha. Maybe one of these days. Anyway, love the show. Wanted to give you a shout out and let you know it's definitely five stars in his book. And uh, Rob, we appreciate you for reaching out to us. Love the support, man. I love, you know, I'm just like one of you guys, man. I'm, I'm an enthusiast at heart and I do it because I love it. You know, I got a day job and this is my hobby and I really, really enjoy doing the podcast for that particular reason. Another email I got here, Scott Bassett says, to me love the podcast man but the audio quality needs some work <laughs> some episodes are fine and then you can hardly hear even when you turn the volume up the max too much background noise also but he loves the podcast and we're working on that you know this, a, a lot of the episodes i work on getting really good quality audio like this particular podcast uh, some of the ones i do on location some of them you know i apologize because i'm a one-man band i'm in a rush to get them edited and put them out and i do have some help on that that i just haven't uh, reached out to in getting some of that audio editing done by uh, my friend ryan connect he's been editing some of the podcasts for the prison podcast yeah we're working on that i'm aware of those and some of those that the volume has been real low on i've gone back and and re-edited them and sent them back out so we're, we're aware of that stuff and we're making Making sure we're sharpening our pencil. Catherine Crandall says, started listening to her podcast in order to hear an interview with Bob Ellis. She decided to tell me about somebody that she had met during her trip to Canada and Mexico trip that they do that's put on by, uh, I think it's Airhead VW Parts. She's got a 67 Savannah Beige Beetle. She is uh, definitely into the podcast and she's made a few suggestions. She made a suggestion of who I should interview, a person she met on the thing, a guy named Gary McGinnis. So if anybody's got Gary McGinnis's contact info, hit me up. I'll definitely give them a shout. You know, it, you know, you don't have to be a VW quote unquote celebrity to be on this podcast, man. I think everybody's got a story and that's one of the things I really enjoy about doing the podcast is I really dig everybody's story, really no matter what level you're at. Other than that, guys, if you want a shout on the podcast, drop us an email, bill at letstalkdubs.com or give us a five-star review and we'll read that five-star review. And speaking of five-star reviews, I've got Mark Ortiz says, great VW podcast. That brings great conversation for all of us to listen to. I love hearing everyone's VW story and the other great information that comes up in each episode. I'm really enjoying this one and can't wait for the next episode to drop. And Mark Ortiz, a land speed VW racer, maybe we might get him on the podcast because I'd like to do some land speed stuff. We've had Burley Burlisle on here and he's like the official land speed historian. But without a doubt, we'll get some more some more good content about that. I know I've, I've said I, I want to go there when he's land speed days and run my bus and just see what she does. But uh, we'll see. That day will come. I assure you guys of that. But don't forget, leave us a five-star review. To support the podcast, go to letstalkdubs.com and pick up some merch. I'm going to have some of the uh, show-style shirts available for purchase on there. They're a cool blue color. Artwork was done by Steve Nazar. Lots of, uh, lots of cool things coming up, man. So until next week, guys. Later. You probably don't know that there's a new Volkswagen out that doesn't look like a Volkswagen.